Welcome. Everything is not fine. Welcome to The Bad Place, a good place recap podcast where a married couple talk about deconstructing from evangelical Christianity. We're going to rewatch The Good Place. We're going to get into what has caused us to leave um, Christianity and evangelicalism over the past decade or so using, uh, you know, the format of a recap podcast to do so. I'm D.L. Mayfield, and I'm one half of the duo. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And yeah, we're going to be talking about leaving evangelicalism. We're going to talk about philosophy. We're going to talk about ethics. We're going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about psychology. And we're going to talk about what was happening in the headlines and politically, both when The Good Place first aired, which is, uh, you know, in the fall of 2016, and uh, where we're at now. Wait, what was going on in fall of 2016? I don't know. Was there something going on in the fall of 2016? (laughs) Perhaps. Okay. I'm a therapist, and you are... Oh, no, please tell me. (laughs) What am I, Kristen? (laughs) I think you are an overthinker, deep diver, rabbit hole um, diver that is also trying to figure out, like, is there good in the world? Oh, I love that. You kind (laughs) of saved yourself, but I could tell you were very nervous as you started talking, as you should be. I love how you get one word to describe yourself and then people are like, okay. I get yeah. the vibes coming mm-hmm. from that one. And then with me, they the vibes are weird, is what <laughs> I will say. The vibes are all over the map, and that's accurate. But maybe we should take a second just to introduce ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. So you want to ex- tell a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I am a, I'm a therapist. I wrote a book about attachment science and faith that came out about a little over a year ago. Since then, you have deconverted, like left Christianity. I don't know where I'm at. Um, I grew up a missionary kid, um, but I'm still continuing to wrestle right now with like what my faith means to me. Um, yeah, so I'm DL, and I was somebody who was raised in evangelical Christianity. My parents were pastors. I was homeschooled, you know, very fundamentalist upbringing. And I ended up becoming a missionary, sort of indoctrinated into uh, being a missionary. And my life has had a lot of twists and turns. I met you at Bible College, a fundamentalist Bible College here in Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, I've also been a writer and I've written for Christian spaces. Much of my writing I now think can be described as me trying to grapple with the ethical frameworks of evangelicalism because they're very confusing. Um, And then I just had my last book, my third book, which was about a, a woman named Dorothy Day, who actually will come up in the discussions of The Good Place, and we'll get to that later. Uh, That book came out in November, and right after it came out, I deconverted from Christianity, like fully deconverted, um, and went public with that. And so that's, you know, I'm coming into this discussion as an ex-Christian, ex-missionary, and a few other particulars that don't exactly matter, but they do, is I was also diagnosed autistic in the past two years. Neurodivergence is a part of our family culture, and what we will be bringing into this discussion. So... With that in mind, one of my special interests for much of my life has been ethics. However, I never heard that word, nor did I ever study ethics in college. 
remember, I was a fundamentalist. All I studied was what like conservative white men from Texas thought about the Bible. Um, so we're playing catch up here. You are also somebody who has had special interests in theology and ethics. But again, would you have said the ethics part? No. No. Uh-uh. no. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was, uh, yeah, grappling with the teachings of Jesus and like having that as an ethical framework, but then sort of asking like, how come white evangelicalism in America like looks nothing like these ethics of so Jesus? Kind of like the polar opposite. So, yeah, that's so that's the framework we're going into this, and we'll be talking about that. But we're also just going to be talking about the show and appreciating this show, the good place for what it is. So, do you want to give any info before we dive in into the episode? Um, yeah, so this aired seven years ago. If you watched it at the time, you know that there are some major spoilers. We have decided that we are going to take this episode by episode. So we are going to take it episode by episode in the sh- in the world of that episode. However, we are going to be like paying careful attention to the show. Therefore, some things that could be construed as spoilers might come up. We will have some um, spoiler notes where we do get to talk about some things that are later on in seasons and all of that. That'll be for our patrons. We'll have more information about that at the end of the show. I will say that The Good Place is kind of known at this point for having one of the biggest surprises at the end of season one in like television history at this point. So we, we're going to just take it episode by episode. So no worries um, in that regard. Okay. I think I said enough about spoilers. (laughs) Crispin, do you want to read the little synopsis of episode one that I sent you? And the the title is Everything is Fine. Yes. Now, who wrote this synopsis? It's from a variety of sources, Reddit, Wikipedia, and then me. Okay. I love it. You you have your Mm -hmm. little touch there. Mm Newly deceased Eleanor Shellstrop is sent to the good place, but only by mistake. Michael is the head architect of the neighborhood Eleanor finds herself in. She is determined to become a better person in her afterlife with help from Cheedy and Janet. Eleanor tries to prove to Cheedy that she's worthy of his help. Will he, will he teach her how to be a good person so that she can stay in the good place and keep her secret from Michael? Okay. So this episode originally aired in September 19th, 2016. Again, that's a very interesting time for a show about the ethics of morality to be airing um, on primetime television. And uh, yeah, Christmas, you, you see, I put it in there, but how many people watched this first episode? Yeah, I would not have guessed 8 million. 8 million? That's a lot uh-huh. of people. I will say it drops off <laughs> yes. after the second episode. I can see. I mean, um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but people were excited. I think part of the reason people were so excited is because this was a Mike Schur production. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about Mike Schur? Um, He produced Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Right? And one more show that may basically completes a trifecta of like office oh the office yes oh i I I spoiled it Uh maybe i'm way worse at spoilers than i thought i've already ruined one i'm gonna have to edit out the accidental spoilers that you drop along the way (laughs) okay so yeah so mike sure is basically like 
comedy sitcom, you know, he's a veteran, right? He knows mm-hmm. how to do this. And in all three of those shows, people tend to rewatch them over and over and over again as comfort shows because not only are they funny, like there's real human connection. The characters are fascinating, well-developed, hilarious, you know, and mm-hmm. you care about them. And it it involves like community, workplace, unlikely friendships, all all those sorts of things. So I feel like this show is different. It feels different than those other shows. Okay, tell me. Tell me why. Um, It feels more like an art project. There is still the heart there, Mm -hmm. but it is so wacky and it's so otherworldly, literally, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it doesn't feel the same as like The Office or like Parks and Rec, where it's like, this is a mundane, like familiar place and we're building something out of it. It's like there's so much going on externally that you're also paying attention to that I, I just think it feels very different. And um, with those with those other shows, it's like, oh, isn't this funny? And with this show, I feel like it's like throwing these ethical dilemmas in your face every single time that like shocks you in a way that Parks and Rec doesn't. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and Mike sure has said that sort of what, the, what they conceptualize as writers was that if this is the afterlife and anything can happen then they need to make sure lots of weird stuff is happening and that was sort of like in the back of their minds for each episode was like okay we can literally do whatever we want here so let's make sure we add some weird stuff and there's so much weird stuff which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why the show is really fun to rewatch because you probably miss stuff the first time around if you're like me and you maybe have something called moral scrupulosity or existential OCD. You kind of get fixated on the ethical dilemma being pre- presented in each episode. Um, but when you go back and rewatch, it's all this wacky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. And yeah, Mike Sure, I think what's really fascinating is he knew he wanted to do a show sort of around this ethics of how to be good and afterlife stuff. And he started researching religions and like religious frameworks of the afterlife he did that for like four months and then he was like, this, I can't, like, I can't do this. And he switched to moral philosophy and ethics as a framework. And he's like, this I can work with. And that's where he decided to kind of go with the direction of the show. And I'm glad. And it is really different. Like just our upbringing was like, what is right and good is what the Bible says as interpreted by a religious leader. And ethics is the, this like open-ended question of like, what is good? Like, can we determine? And we were told, like, you cannot determine within yourself what is good. So I think that's why this was, like, really freeing to us in some ways, is, like, asking that question. Okay, before we move on to our next segment, is there anything you felt was missing from the little synopsis? What I think is most important about this is, like, Eleanor is our main character. She shows up to the good place and realizes, like, I don't actually belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and nobody else knows that except me, right? Right. And so then terrible things start to happen in the good place, like some disasters happen, which seem to be because she is breaking this system. And Chidi, who is, you know, her soulmate in the good place, you know, basically tells her it's your fault that this stuff is happening. I think one thing I left out was the fact that there's a lot of frozen yogurt. That's a really <laughs> important part. Uh-huh. You know, of this of this show. So we wanted to do a little segment called Watch Rewatch mm-hmm. because we watched this show when it first aired. Mm-hmm. And 
we had some feelings about it. And then we want to kind of talk about that in light of how we now feel watching the show in 2023, summer of 2023. So, Chrisman, do you remember when you watched the pilot episode of The Good Place? I do. And I do remember having some anxiety. Yeah, about tell me about it. that. Like, I I just I distinctly remember that opening scene when Eleanor opens her eyes and you know Michael tells her everything's fine you're in the good place and just being like what if what I was taught isn't true okay. this you know existential yeah. anxiety uh-huh. came up uh-huh. and I'm like I know this is just a TV show I know that this is like you know but like that came this up for me This is supposed to be a comedy <laughs> right exactly yeah. uh-huh. The only thing that I really remember is like Thinking like this is an NPR version of heaven. Oh, NPR vibes. You know, is like that just Ted Danson or what? No, no like uh, think about like Eleanor and Cheedy. Like they're all people that would be like that Terry Gross would interview, right? Eleanor, no, or not Eleanor. Sorry, um, uh, Tahani. Okay, uh, Tahani, Cheedy, and like Eleanor, who she was supposed to be are all people that, like, Terry Gross would interview. Okay. Or, like, right? Like, these, like, people that are, like, moral philosophers or have done, you know, these amazing things for humans. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, Tahani, I think, is sort of the... Um, is sort of the the height of that and that she's like, you know, there because she's done so much good in the world, but she's also like a supermodel and super rich, right? And, yeah. like, it just feels very, like, liberal, elite sort of heaven. Okay, yeah. So right. you remember thinking that mm-hmm. in 2016. Yeah, and okay. being like, yeah, this is interesting. Like, is this what society sort of, like, thinks of as heaven, you know? So that stood out to me. Um, and the other thing, too, is, like, um, one of the things that happens is they explain this system, right? If you're good in your life, then you go to the good place. If you're bad, but, like, it's all your actions add up to these different points. And I think you'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But I remember just being really struck by, like, oh, yeah, like, this resonates on a deep level at that time. I was thinking, like, this idea of, like, yeah, if you're good, you deserve good. If you're bad, you deserve bad. And then kind of wrestling with that, like, but that's not how the, the, like, the upbringing that I had works. It's just, like, if you say the right prayer then you go to the good place, you know? Mm-hmm, and so like mm-hmm. wrestling with that a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly how I experienced it too, which is, uh, so I was, you know, like I said, very isolated fundamentalist Christian upbringing. So kind of like from the time I opened my eyes, right. I ha- I was surrounded by my caregivers in the church and every being like, you're in the good place. Like, like evangelical Christianity is perfection on earth, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you pray this prayer and get baptized at age six, like then you'll also go to the good place, which is heaven when you die. And I think it's just really uncomfortable if you've been raised in fundamentalism to be exposed to views that, you know, are different. And I think humor is such an incredible way that this can happen and I felt that while watching this show, like in 2016, like this is uncomfortable for me because I've already begun to, and I've actually internally been grappling with the limits of the evangelical framework around the afterlife for multiple years, but I'm not allowed to say that publicly, right? I would lose mm-hmm. friends, family, writing, you know. And so I think it was just like, is this a safe place for me to think about this? But I also feel like I was triggered 
And I, my brain would loop a lot as I watched the show, thinking about the ethical questions, thinking about how that fits into an evangelical framework, and sort of starting to recognize um, the absurdity, right, of certainty when it comes to the afterlife. And I think that is what The Good Place did for me back in 2016. Mm. So I was like, this is kind of funny almost, like how certain everybody in my life was and maybe I can tap into my inner Eleanor. And Eleanor is a fascinating character. Mm. Uh, and I think if we're talking about how we feel watching it now, my brain is much less focused on like the specifics of the afterlife and how it works and all that. And I and I spent a lot of time thinking about Eleanor mm. and her character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I'm curious for you, what feels different when you rewatched it this time around? I really was paying attention to all the characters and their experience, I think, in a similar way. Um, Also, I was like, oh, heaven is like uh, Main Street Disneyland, Uh, which I did not think about the first time. But I was like, maybe I've just had Disneyland on my mind, right? But we've seen the set. Uh Remember? We went to Universal Studios Mm -hmm. and did it. So, yeah, that was awesome. Uh Uh Yeah. Um, So I think there's there's that piece. But um, rewatching it. It really makes made me ask this question of like, what is the point? And made me recognize, okay, this feels like intense. I'm just going to say this. So much suffering in my life. I've told myself like, it's okay that this isn't working out or this isn't fixed or this is like really hard because when I get to heaven, it will be better. And so like watching this this time, it really made me question like, what is the function of telling yourself you're going to get to this place where everything will be fine and you won't ever be stressed again? Yeah. And like, how has that impacted me rather than taking action on something that maybe I should take action on and say like, hey, like maybe there's a healthier way I can take care of myself. You know, I've gone to this place. And so it's really interesting to think about like, I've had this idea of my whole life of like, I'm going to get to this place where I won't have stress. And what's interesting about this episode is they have stress. So you're like Chidi, because like, (laughs) so yeah, so Chidi's a moral philosopher, right, Mm -hmm. who spends his life helping people be good people. And then he gets to the good place and he has a stomachache. Right. (laughs) Because he's like, do I tell on Eleanor or do I help her? Right. And it gives him a stomachache. Yeah. So having a stomachache in heaven it's like when I watched this in 2016, I was like, yeah, I would be exactly like GD. Like, mm-hmm. And I just expect suffering wherever I go because my brain it loves to generate scenarios for me um, <laughs> right. that create suffering in my life. How would heaven be any different, you know? Uh-huh. And I kind of struggled with Eleanor, which I think is fascinating. I listened to an interview with Mike Schur and he was basically like, I knew we needed Kristen Bell to play Eleanor and Ted Danson to play Michael. So... Because they're America's sweethearts, right? Mm-hmm. And so we would get people on our side immediately. And then, like, they reveal some things about Eleanor that, you know, make her, quote, unquote, not a good person. What stands out to you? Well, I mean, her job. Oh, She's right. Like, so she sells fake medicine to sick seniors <laughs> right? Yes. in Arizona. Yeah. You know, I was right. like, oh. I, I was thinking of, like, when she was like, did you ever do anything good in your life? And it flashes back to, like... Someone saying like, hey, you want to help save the environment? And she throws her drink at him and says, eat my farts. Eat my farts, yeah. (laughs) Right. Which again, like that is so over the top. Right. 
Nobody would, but like the whole job occupation thing, I was like, uh oh. That's me. You picked up on that so much because you are cheaty. No. Okay, <laughs> you're not cheaty. But but as horrified as cheaty felt, and how that made him almost be like, I don't think I can help this. Per-. Like that's as how strongly I react. Right. I mean, Internally. we'll we'll talk about this throughout the season, but yes. I do think that cheaty was an important character for you. Oh, we will get to that. Right. Cheaty to- helped me get diagnosed with some things, y'all. Like, right. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, I am not kidding. Exactly. But I don't know if this is too spoiler spoilery. If we're talking about the difference, I really identify with Chidi in 2016. Mm. Now, I'm much more interested in the character of Eleanor because Eleanor is the only person in this episode who is like, this system seems wrong. Mm-hmm. If only a few people make it into the good place, like, and you have to be this humanitarian who suffers and sacrifices their entire life in order to get in the good place, like... This is whack, mm-hmm. right? And so Eleanor's the only character saying that, and I really resonate with that. And it's kind of confusing for my sort of cheaty brain to ping pong back and forth between Eleanor being terrible. Eleanor's also the only one who seems to have a sense of like, this really isn't fair and this mm-hmm. isn't okay. But we'll get more into that uh, later. <laughs> but to me, those are like the things that are different for me watching this. Um huh. I wanted to ask if there's any th- favorite things you had about the episode, like favorite jokes or, you know, the good place is full of puns and all the mm-hmm. signs and stuff. I don't know if you had any that are your fave. Yeah. I mean, what, what stood out to me, this is like a different direction, but all the character, not all the characters, but like multiple characters had these vulnerable points. So like Cheaty getting a stomachache mm-hmm. and like... Eleanor at one point asks, like, did anyone care that I died? Mm-hmm. And even Michael, who's the angel, who's the architect of this neighborhood, uh, what we find out is this is his first neighborhood that he's ever built. And so he's really insecure and nervous, like, did I do it right? And like, which is just funny in this like perfect place, there are all these people that have these like insecurities or vulnerabilities, which I just really appreciated. And I think that does help us like connect really quickly with those characters. So one of the things I wanted to talk about really quick is that when Michael does this presentation for everybody who's in the neighborhood of The Good Place about like, it, you know, this is all based off of a point system, right? If you do enough good things and you get into The Good Place, all that stuff. Somebody took the time to like write out all the point systems that are on the screen that Michael's talking about. And I just want to talk about a few of them. Okay, so let's start with like the things a person can do that would give them a ton of points. I guess the most somebody could get is uh, 81, actually 814,000 points. And that's by ending slavery. Okay. You could host a refugee family. That would be 282,000 points. You could (laughs) never discuss veganism without being first prompted. So many of these make me think that a neurodivergent person in the writer's room wrote it because here's one self-monitored potentially nauseating mouth sounds while chewing (laughs) (laughs) began to compose social media posts about david bowie dying then thought hmm the world doesn't need to hear my thoughts on david bowie dying i just love that someone slowed it down and like read all these things because in the moment it's like 10 seconds where you or less where you just see right (laughs) and we'll list we'll list this thing so you can go look at all of them because they're really good now here's some of the things you can do to lose points 
Okay. You can use the term bro code. And you lose eight <laughs> points every time you do that. Okay. You can overstate a personal connection to a tragedy that has nothing to do with you. It's negative 40 points. You can tell a woman to smile. Negative 53 points. Okay. You can ruin an opera with boorish behavior. Negative 90 <laughs> points. Okay. You could poison a river and for the, you know, most amount of negative points, you know, 433,000, you can commit genocide. So there we go. I was wondering every, like all the negatives were like very low points, but apparently there is like, you know, you can shoot the moon. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Um, And now this, this will help us transition into a segment we're going to call This is The Bad Place, and this is where we get to talk about growing up in white evangelicalism in the United States Mm -hmm. in the 80s, 90s, in the aughts, and kind of talk about some of the ethical frameworks we ran up against. And I have a hunch that the ethical dilemma that this entire first episode is about is... About what are the ethics of a heaven where only a select few perfect people, you know, get to experience joy mm-hmm. and pleasure. And the mm-hmm. vast majority of humanity is sent to the bad place. Now, the bad place is only mentioned like a tiny bit in this episode. What do you, what do you remember about them talking about the bad place? Yeah, like uh, Eleanor is worried about getting sent to the bad place since she doesn't belong in the good place. Uh-huh. And she's like, it's probably not that bad. You know, the bad place probably isn't that bad. And then Janet, who will mention throughout this, who's sort of the AI robot assistant, is like, I'll play an audio clip from the bad place. And it's like, you know, the things that like the scare tactic plays we saw about heaven and hell. I mean, are it was made a hell of. house right. audio, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Screeches, like screeches, <laughs> screeches. They got them screeches in there. <laughs> Screaming. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds horrific. Right. And basically, Michael says, you know, just don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Like, Don't worry about the people in the bad place. Mm -hmm. You're the cream of the crop. You've been carefully selected. You deserve to be here. That's, you know, what he says over and over again. And um, I just thought, like, oh, there's something, like, kind of triggering here to have a calm elderly white man telling someone over and over again like everything's fine okay, i did not want to interrupt place. i didn't want to interrupt you earlier. were chosen because you're good people but here's the thing is you talked about like opening your eyes mm-hmm. in white evangelical yeah. right like being born into white evangelicalism and like is ted dancing billy graham oh right like just imagine Billy Graham being Ted Dance the whole time. It's fine. It's great. Like, this is great. great. Don't, right. And you deserve to be here, right? And he, yeah. <laughs> like, he, he was basically telling them, <laughs> there's one line, he says, you know that feeling you get when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? Like, that's how you're going to feel all the time in the uh-huh. good place, right? Yeah. And it's an incredibly selective process. That's what he says a lot. And, you know, it's perfect and if you're here, you were meant to be here. And that's absolutely what Billy Graham mm-hmm. said. Now, Billy Graham, if if people are not familiar with evangelical Christianity, he's basically like the father of modern evangelical Christianity thought. And he helped start 
this flagship publication called Christianity Today. He went to Wheaton College, did all these crusades. Yes, it's a very unfortunate word. Friends with all the presidents. Yeah, he has quite the political um, career. I mean, not career, but as an advisor to presidents. And basically, he's sort of a hallowed figure within white evangelicalism. But he also is probably the person who has done more than anyone to popularize the modern evangelical viewpoint of heaven and hell and mm-hmm. afterlife and the importance of dedicating your life to Jesus Christ so that you will not go to hell, but will instead spend eternity in heaven. So that was how we grew up. My parents took me to a Billy Graham crusade when I was young. Um, of course, I was already saved by that point, you know, mm-hmm. multiple times, because how could you not when you had your parents telling you this stuff all the time? And yeah, I think I think it's just a fascinating look at the ethical limitations of that framework. And this this one in particular basically has impacted my life more than any other theological viewpoint, I would say. And I'll, I'll unpack that in a minute, but I'm just curious to hear from you. I remember for us at the towards the end of our Christianity asking this question of like why is it that I grew up in this particular country where I could put my faith in Jesus, therefore I get to go to heaven, you know, et cetera. But I think the bigger question is like... Speak for yourself. That did not happen to me at the end. <laughs> okay? okay. That was a question I that, had the whole time. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think the question for me is like, who deserves what? Like, and that is a huge question. Like, do we as humans deserve love and care, even if we royally fork up? Um, Ooh, that, like was that. Good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. You know, who deserves, if there is an afterlife and if there's a good place and a bad place, who does deserve to go there? And I think asking this question of like, this seems like a really messed up system is really important. But then if I ask like, well, what goes in its place? Like, it does, like, I will be honest and just say, like, I don't know um, what replaces it. Like, does Hitler deserve a second chance? You know, like, there are lots of... Yeah, I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> I really don't. I think I want to camp out a little bit longer on just the the variety of responses you can have to a framework that says only a few select people deserve eternal goodness and Mm. the vast majority of humanity does not deserve that so when i was presented this reality as a small child over and over and over again as i grew older i I think the enormity of that started to really impress itself upon me and my thought was like how well then how can we get more people into heaven? And that mm-hmm. became the driving question of my life. And I was told, well, first of all, since I was, you know, socialized as female, I couldn't be a pastor, right? Because that was just for men. Um, but I could be a missionary. And to be a missionary in white evangelicalism is like this special hallowed role, you know, like mm-hmm. you go off to a foreign country and you convert lost souls. Um, and of course you can be like a missionary in the workplace in America too. But Like, that was what I was told when I sort of came back with, like, this seems awful. Like, I need everyone to get into heaven for me to feel okay about this. And they're like, great. Take that drive for justice, fairness, equity, you know, like, and go try and convert people. 
So I literally had no other thought in my head other than I have to do this. And I read so many missionary biographies as a child. I um, never thought about applying to college. I joined something called Youth with a Mission, which is like a, a mission school for evangelical teen, like not teens, but like a gap year thing, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Instead of college, I did that, went to India. And it's really hard for me to talk about because of course, like most people in this pluralistic society are like, what? what did you do? You were a missionary? And I'm like, yeah, I was. And of course, I wasn't thinking about colonization, imperialization, white supremacy, savior complex. All those things were a part of it. Um, My framework at the time was people are going to hell. I'm not going to hell because I'm 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 literally doing everything evangelical says I should do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hell. I, I knew I would be going to heaven and I was desperate other people would get to go too. And so that really has shaped my life in so many ways. This, this sort of like, not terror, I guess it did existential terror. I felt at what Billy Graham said, right? Mm -hmm. What all these evangelical leaders, including my parents said, which is like, we are somehow so special and so, you know, they use the word predestined, right? To be God's favorites, to get into heaven. And yes, we should try and get people to come with us. And so I took it very, very literally, mm-hmm. which I now know is sort of um, in part due to being autistic, where, where we do th- can take things literally. So mm-hmm. that's what I did, man. And yeah. I feel like this ethical dilemma more than anyone has shaped my life. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? You've yeah. been married to me for right. a very long time. I think so. And it is interesting because, like, I'll be honest and say, like, that did not, like, tear at me the way that it has you. Right? I do think that, like, even pulling away from the ethics of it, like, this idea, something that's been really impactful for me is to th- do a thought experiment of, like, if I, if one of our kids, you know, in this framework, if I go to heaven and one of our kids goes to hell because they don't put their faith in Jesus, like how, what does it mean for me that I can just be happy? Which I think is an ethical question. So kind of taking it from the general, like, if I know that millions of people are suffering forever, like that is one question, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, how can I be happy? But like, also in this like other level of just like what there's just one other person that I dearly love that is suffering like what kind of actual love is that if I can just be joyous in heaven while they're suffering yeah you know yeah and and we'll also get into as we talk through this season we're going to talk about sort of like humanitarian impulses because I've done a lot of research into that what what creates people to be um sort of like over and above and beyond of giving of themselves to help humanity. I've been very interested in that question for a long time. I think Mike Sure has also been interested in that. I'll be having the role of what it's like to be married to someone like that. Somebody who is obsessed with being a good person. Yes. Because at some point in my life, it did shift a little bit from mm-hmm. how do I convert everybody to be a Christian when it became clear, like, people don't convert to other religions. I sort of started to have all these other questions that came up. And I, in order to still have like a good sense of myself, I became obsessed with being a good person and doing good things. Um, So that is part of my story. Which I think that really comes from your, you do have like deep care for people. So I'm just throwing that out there. That yeah. it's not, it's not like neurotic. 
but it's also exhausting. It is exhausting. And I will say there's limitations to this. I I, I want to say one thing about this episode that really stood out to me while re-watching it is that Chidi and Tahani, they don't seem to have any qualms about them getting into the good place and other people not. They don't seem to worry about it. Like there's these glaring gaps and it even maybe led to forming a thought process where they can be okay with like, I worked so hard to get this. I deserve it. And I'm actually not going to think about all the people in the bad place. And that seems to be what Chidi, Tahani and Janyu all do, mm-hmm. which is like ethically horrifying to me. Uh-huh. Right? right. So I'm yes. like, I'm team Eleanor all the way uh-huh. at this point. Here's the question. Uh-huh. Does Eleanor only care because she would have gone to the bad place? I mean... There's a part of this episode that is where she says, I bet both of my parents went to the bad place because mm-hmm. they were not good parents and not good people. And I think there's so much in that line, which is like Eleanor has seen some shit. Like she has seen humans be terrible to each other. She has experienced a ton of trauma and that actually truly does get uh kind of teased out and talked about in later episodes or later seasons of the show which i love mm-hmm. and coming from someone who's experienced trauma and she's just much more open about that trauma right mm-hmm. and i think it does lead to her having this realization like but most people do shitty things at some point in their life does that mean we're all deserving to be thrown away she also seems to have a great bullshit detector because mm-hmm. in this episode i think it's kind of clear that tahani you know the perfect humanitarian gorgeous tall you know like um is supposed to be eleanor's like nemesis mm-hmm. and that's what mike sure said like that's how it's setting it up and so mm-hmm. she kind of can smell bullshit as far bullshit. as bull oh, bullshit <laughs> Um, which I love. I love that too. So uh-huh. funny. I'm on Team Eleanor. I, I was so Team Cheaty during my first watching of this show. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, I really I'm gonna a learn lot. how to take it sleazy, man. That's what I'm on a journey of. Okay. <laughs> it's because you've been listening to a lot of Kesha, <laughs> and Kesha has a song called why "Keep was, It Sleazy." Why was there an Ariana Grande song in this episode. I don't know. I when don't things know. started going wild, I didn't understand that. Because Eleanor had said something about Ariana Grande. Oh, really? Yeah. I uh-huh. guess I missed that. Okay. Well, there we go. That's why the rewatches and re rewatches are important. Okay, Crispin, you're so excited about this next segment. Yes. I, I want you to introduce it. Okay. So th- this is going to be a segment called You Might Have Religious Trauma If. Can you please try and do it in a Jeff Foxworthy voice? <laughs> I didn't even know that that's what I, I guess that's what I was pulling from, oh, right? Oh, no. It was like hanging out in my, I did not, I did not grow up um, with Jeff Foxworthy. So, but I think it just has radiated in the ether. And fr- like when I said that, I did so not know I was stealing mm-hmm. from Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, that ruins it. That ruins the segment. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> Um, everything's fine. Um, yeah, so you might have religious trauma if, and basically what we're going to do is we're just going to notice, like, obviously there are religious themes in this. And so, uh, for each episode, we're just going to come up with a phrase that resonated with us. Mine watching this was, you might have religious trauma if you resonated with Eleanor because you're afraid 
that you were going to show up in heaven and not belong there and not be good enough, even though you were let in, which was totally my experience. Like I was told like heaven is a place for perfect people. Also, you're really broken and there's so much wrong with you. And like that dilemma of like, I'm going to be in this place where I have to fake it uh, had a deep impact on me um, psychologically. And so that's some of the religious trauma I'm working through. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was going to be short. Okay. To the point. Okay. You might have religious trauma if you feel (laughs) jealous of Doug Forsett. Ooh, uh-huh. You want to explain that sure. part? Sure. Doug Forsett, right, is the one person who got the closest to pr- accurately predicting the afterlife while high on mushrooms, I believe, in Calgary, Canada. And Doug Forsett, from my uh from my perspective as an autistic person who took uh religion very, very seriously, uh, there's always been this hope that there is a way to get it right. There is a way to figure out how to be a perfect human. And there's a way to figure out what comes next in the afterlife. And so I'm like, man, I want to be like Doug, Um, which this is foreshadowing because (laughs) me and Doug as a character are actually very similar. And, and again, he shows up in later uh, seasons. I'm going to have to like, I feel like I need a buzzer. Like a a spoiler buzzer. How is that spoiling? It's not a spoiler. Yeah. You're just going to like, by the time. Doug Forsett is an important part of this universe. (laughs) Okay. He's not just a picture on the wall. And I'm jealous of him. And I've never done mushrooms. Ah, wait, is that why you're jealous? You're jealous on multiple levels. One is is like, I want to get it right. And also I want to be the person that can live in Calgary, Canada and do mushrooms. And also when in 2016, when this first aired, I had never even done marijuana. Uh I mean, that's how cheaty I was. (laughs) And again, I'm in my taking it sleazy phase. Marijuana is legalized now in Oregon and I do partake and... Maybe that's why I'm also not a Christian anymore. Who knows? Slippery slope. What will happen? I mean, mushrooms are on their way to being legalized. I'm such a goody two-shoes. I'm going to wait until it is legalized, and I will do it uh, legally through a clinic here. So we'll take it sleazy until then, and (laughs) we'll see if I have a Doug Forsett moment, okay? Okay. There we go. Um, Okay, my segment now, which is Deal's Fun Facts segment, which... True to my personality, I already told you most of them <laughs> as we were talking. Okay. Um, I guess the one that maybe you wouldn't know about is like, you know how the show opens with Eleanor's eyes opening? Uh-huh. That is a callback to Lost. Oh. And Damon Lindelhoff and like all the twists and all the things, like Mike Schur's friends with him. And so structure the show, and I believe it, just similar to the show Lost, the show's, you know, the series opens and ends with eyeballs opening and closing. Oh, remember when we had to stop watching Lost because it gave you nightmares? Well, I'm what they call... Autistic? (laughs) Extremely sensitive, okay? (laughs) Lost made me scream. Mm. I felt so creeped out. Do you remember this? Uh, uh-huh. I do. Yes. Yeah. And um, also what a disappointing show as far as like 
me wanting to talk about existential things and the show never doing what I wanted it to do with mm. those premises and the good place, you know, didn't let me down in the same way, which is why we're doing a podcast about the good place and not about lost. Also, the good place is funny, mm-hmm. um, which is something you and I weren't really allowed to be. You know that you can't really be funny in fundamentalism. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you're right. You can be angry, funny, and fundamentalism. Oh, you can be demeaning and condescending and patronizing mm-hmm. and call it humor. Mm-hmm. But it's, you, you, you can't poke fun at the whole system or people get real, real upset. So I think that's I think that's all I have. I'll have more fun facts next time for sure. Yeah. But Christmas, I feel overwhelmed. This is an amazing show. We you know, want to do right by it, but also we're just having fun. We like hanging out with each other. We've mm-hmm. experienced a lot of change. It's fun for me to watch the show now being an ex-Christian. Um, I'm enjoying that. But we want to hear from you, the listeners. Um, hopefully you're enjoying having an excuse to rewatch this amazing show, to kind of get involved in all the ethical questions. I'm curious if anyone listening, if you do come from a religious background of any kind, um, did you ever come up against the ethical dilemma sort of presented in this first episode, which is only a select few deserve to go to the good place? Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us in all sorts of ways, which Chris is going to tell you about since I can never remember them. Right. So we have a phone number that you can leave and leave a voicemail. A I- phone number? Yes. I'm going to put it in the show notes. So if you are on your phone and you have the show notes, you can just click that number and leave a voicemail. You can also do voice memos to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Um, if you're like, I don't know how to do either of those, reach out to us, um, you know, through like, you know, send me a DM on Twitter, like whatever it is, because um, we would love to hear from you. But we're trying to open up several avenues to hear from you all comments, questions. Prayer requests. Just no. Kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Oh wow! You try. You were trying to get a rise out of me, weren't you? I, I, and I did it. Did I just yell? No. <laughs> Here's yeah. No trauma dumping in the DMs, please. But we do want to hear from you. We also want to hear um, if you have any things that stood out to you, favorite parts about episode one. If you want to talk spoilers, uh, DMs are the place to do it. Also, our email address. Which mm-hmm. is prophetic imagination station at gmail.com. And again, all these things will be in every show note and on our website, which is also called the prophetic imagination station. We really want to hear from you. If you record a voice memo, um, I will honestly think you are one of the most brave people in the world because like technology is hard for us and using our voices are hard. Um, but just know that I, DL, will be like, that person's really brave. So thank you for doing that. Send it to us. We'll um, answer some questions or thoughts or talk about any conspiracies you have in our patron-only spoiler sode episodes. So look out for those. Speaking of which, you can join our Patreon. Um, and that's where the real fun happens. Mm-hmm. Right, Christmas? Tell, tell folks what they'll get. So if you join our Patreon, we're going to have that extra spoiler sode. So we're going to talk about the spoiler things that we notice in the episode. Once a month. Uh-huh. Once a month. Um, also take listener questions, that sort of thing. Um, and we also are going to uh, do a monthly episode called Books from the Bad Place. We're going to be talking about... From our upbringing, what were some of the big books in the 80s and 90s um, and talking through those and, and 
using this ethical framework, right? These ethical questions to look at, like, how do these books stand up? So, like, Dr. Dobson's uh, Dare to Discipline is what we've been looking at right now, those sorts of things. So, um, and especially if you've been a listener for a long time and um, still want to hear a bit about that evangelical upbringing stuff, or if you're like, I did not grow up evangelical, but why the hell is all this happening in our country? Yeah, Um, why are Christians uh, turning into neo-fascists who want to take over um, you know, the country and are literally doing so in places like Florida and Arizona, which fun fact, make sure like specifically talks about Florida and Arizona a bunch and various characters in this series being connected to those two places. In episode one, we get a lot of Eleanor Shellstrop talking about being from Arizona. Uh, and Mike sure basically was like, yeah, Arizona is a terrible place. Arizona is... The Florida of the West Coast is what he said, and he mean he means that politically. And back when Mike Sure was writing this and all that, you know, Sheriff Joe Arpinio or something like that was all in the news, right? Um, all that stuff. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I mean personally, I think Texas is hell. Sorry to our Texas listeners, but that's what I tell you all the time. That is what you tell me all the time. And I'm like, I think Florida's in the running for that. Yeah. Arizona is like, we don't we can't even worry about Arizona right now. Well, I I think that things have shifted a little bit politically in Arizona. That's a little true. bit. There's been some organizing and stuff in ways yeah. that like are not happening in those other states. So we won't keep um, you know, offending all our listeners in different states. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because like a bunch of people from Florida, I do believe, are listening to this as we speak. Um, but maybe they are. You never know. And we will be releasing episodes every other week. Sorry to say it. This is going to be a slow rewatch and a slow recap. But that's because we are very busy people mm-hmm. and not professional podcasters. And we want the time to record those other episodes in between. And now we want to end it sort of stealing from the official Good Place Recap podcast, which I I encourage everyone to listen to. It's just called The Good Place, the podcast hosted by Mark Evan Jackson, who we both love and who, weirdly enough, we have talked about before since he has been involved in some evangelical artifacts, which we won't get into right now. Um, Adventures in Odyssey. (laughs) Uh, we want to end with a segment we call This is the Good Place. Okay. Mm-hmm. We just talked about a lot of intense stuff. Um, now let's end on a different note. Crispin, what is something that is giving you hope in humanity these days? So there is this uh, yoga teacher practitioner um, who has a website called The Underbelly that you just discovered mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. our family. I've known about Jessamine for a long time. Okay, that you just introduced uh, our family to Jessamine Stanley, who is this yoga teacher. She is uh, body positive, uh, swears and curses a lot, like just makes you feel really comfortable in your own skin. Um, and that has been really life-giving to us. I will be honest, and I did a couple of videos yesterday and mm-hmm. like wept. Oh, just because it just was like really beautiful and really lovely to connect uh, with my body and with our kid um, around it. And mm-hmm. so that is what is giving me life right now. Excellent. Jessamine Stanley. Um, I want to say that yarn is giving me hope for humanity. I went to Joanne's Fabrics yesterday and it was like a newly renovated one in our neighborhood. And there was just like 
so much yarn there and so much color. And I was just like, look at us just crafting our way through the end of the world. Like, I love it. I bought some really bright yarn that is orange and pink. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm making a baby blanket. And you always make fun of me because I always do new projects and they always turn out terrible. And I never get any better at crocheting. (laughs) I think it is adorable. But isn't that the point of being a human? Right. Right? Like, I don't have to get really good at crocheting. It makes me feel calm. Looking at all the colors of yarn at Joanne Fabrics, I was like, I think we're going to make it. And even if we don't make it, like, it's kind of cool that we choose to take our existential dread and um, put it into yarn and make it functional in some (laughs) way. Even if we don't make it, we'll have some... Uh, shoddily cross-knitted uh, baby shoddily. blankets. <laughs> shoddily? Again, I think it's cute. You think it's adorable how bad I am at crochet. You are so good at so many things <laughs> in the world. So that's my thing is like if you are doing something to be like creative and or like if you're doing something to be really good at, there are a million other things that you could be doing because you're good at so many things. So I love that you're like, I'm going to do this thing with my hands. Even if I'm not that good at it. Oh, thank you. You saved it. You saved yourself. That's genuinely what I think. You are allowed to go to the good place now. Oh, so you're the judge? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> thought we all knew this. Well, anyways, thanks y'all for listening. We're so happy to be doing this. We're having a lot of fun. And we hope you're watching along with us. Thanks, y'all. This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us next time in the bad place. (laughs) 